Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Weekly Real Podcast. My name is Jeremy. And my name is Ken. And today we're going to be talking about one of the supposedly greatest movies of all time. And no, I'm not talking about Footloose. I'm talking about The Godfather. <laughs> uh, but we're actually joined here by a guest. Caesar. welcome to the podcast. Gentlemen, I can't even tell you what an honor it is to be on the Weekly Reel. Thank you so much for the opportunity to hang out with you guys today. Yeah, I mean, uh, for the podcast audience, we've known, well, I've known uh, Caesar for a very long time, dating back to when I was still a kid. So really, technically, majority of my life, because he's got a few years on me, uh, finally, someone, <laughs> finally someone who's actually older than I am. <laughs> Just wow. a couple of years. Just a couple years. Just, just a couple, couple years. years. Yeah. But you know what? Uh, what's funny is that uh, I think Jeremy and I agree that uh, your sense of humor is unique. It's always, uh, it keeps us on our toes. It does. Uh, and so, I, I don't know. I, I've been looking forward to this uh, episode, not only because we're talking about The Godfather today, but we we get to have you on here, and we, we have so much fun just just crack it up uh, with jokes offline, and I'm kind of glad that we were getting a chance to do this while we're recording. Yeah, it's really odd to be hanging out and talking, and there's no food involved. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You could always bring food next time. Next time, we're going to have to order in, just door dash it up, because usually that's what we're doing. Yeah, but it usually takes about an hour to figure out where we're actually going to eat. That is true. That is true. <laughs> well, that's the magic of podcast land, isn't it? You could just edit that hour out and... Yeah, there you just go. Just magically appears the food. <laughs> but yeah, it's something that we need to think about, Jeremy, in our, uh, our off season, maybe for season five. It'll be our new thing. Yeah, maybe uh, it's like uh, eating with us or something like that yeah, and talking yeah. movies. Yeah, so since this is Caesar's uh, first appearance here on the podcast, I kind of wanted to give our audience a, a chance to get to know Caesar. So uh, to give our audience an idea of what your viewing habits are, since we are a movie podcast after all, and we do talk about movies for the most part and TV on our other show. Uh, what's your most rewatched movie and what is your most rewatched TV show? Would you like to share that with the audience? Um, Sure. I'm going to have to think about that for a minute. I can tell you that my most rewatched television show, uh, with The Office coming in at a close second, uh, my most rewatched television show is The West Wing, which is, in my um. opinion, the greatest TV drama. Uh, I love the show, and I've watched it more times than I would care to admit. Well, <laughs> let me just say this. I've watched it more than I've watched The Office, which is definitely saying something. Wow, because the episodes are basically twice as long as The Office, am I right? Exactly. Yeah, they're 42 to 45 minutes for the episode, so it's it's a long stretch. I mean, you get the... And, and it's not like the dialogue's slow-paced or anything like that. Right. You kind of get that whole Aaron Sorkin experience. Yes, and, and the, the, uh, the writing, especially in the first three or four seasons when Aaron Sorkin was doing the writing, was just impeccable. Uh, it was crisp. It was intelligent. It assumed that the person watching had uh, intelligence, and I, I like TV shows that do that. Uh, so do I. So do, yeah. so do I. Um, did you think of a movie um, while you were? Um, 
I'm I, I I have to tell you I'm a little bit embarrassed to admit this because yes, there those is, are the best though the guilty pleasure right movie, we have a series Jeremy I, right true true <laughs> um, and I I feel like I need to get my wallet and pull my man card out and get ready to turn it in but if I have to think back to the movie that I have probably seen more than any other movie that is the classic Dirty Dancing. Yes. Ah, there it is. <laughs> I, I know, I know, and and it's just so. It's such a good movie, and the soundtrack is amazing. And Patrick Swayze sings one of the songs in the soundtrack. So, <laughs> wait, have yeah, you I'm seen sorry. Dirty Dancing, Jeremy? No, not yet. Actually, it's yeah, on my ha- list. How is it possible that you haven't seen that? That is a classic. See, that's what I'm saying. That's why we have the movie podcast here. I actually, hand to God, I have never seen it myself either. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I'm a little bit disappointed in you, gentlemen. (laughs) You have to to see pre-surgery Jennifer Grey. Oh, yeah. I do do remember clips. But yes, Jennifer Grey. Wow. See, maybe yeah. you're the real man for watching Dirty Dancing. We're maybe. Not. I'm yeah. trying to think that, you know what? It takes a man to dance with his hands in the air. The, well, <laughs> the closest I got to watching Dirty Dancing is when, you know, movies reference Dirty Dancing. You know, that particular that scene where Patrick Swayze lifts her up oh, and that, yes. do that whole twirl thing at the same time. Oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's Classic. the closest I've gotten. Yeah, I could do quotes all night long. Oh, wow. Which is embarrassing. Ooh, who knows? Maybe we would have to do a dirty dancing episode of one of these seasons and, and we'll you have back you on, on it. <laughs> You'll be our, our resident, uh, I guess, what do you expert. call it? Expert on it. <laughs> I'm going to have to say, well, I've never really seen it all the way through. No, that wouldn't work. I, I love clip. that. I love that movie. I'd, I'd, uh, I'd recommend it to anybody. It's, it's just a, it's a good heartwarming family movie and uh and uh i just love it good love story yeah date movie right too absolutely absolutely so to learn a little bit more about our viewing habits though we created the podcast ritual where we talk about one notable movie or tv show that we watched in the last week ken let's start off with you though what you been watching this last week uh okay ordinarily and I think uh, I think I had a conversation with Jeremy offline, maybe even during our off season. I was like, Jeremy, my goal for this season is to try to have something new every week. Sadly, I failed, but there's a reason why. Okay, okay. so uh, I mean, we're recording this episode on Wednesday, May 25th, and earlier this week, I watched on premiere day the mid-season finale of. Better Call Saul, which I did mention earlier this season. Uh, the current season is only available on EMC Plus. And this latest episode, this past Monday, and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Caesar, you're a big fan of Breaking Bad? Oh, yes. And Better Call Saul. Yes. Yeah. So, this last episode was an all-timer and man uh this final season has been i feel like a master class in storytelling they've been just taking their time telling the story at whatever pace they want they know when to actually just uh you know tap on the brakes a little bit they know when to actually just kick it into high octane and um 
I don't know. Uh, I feel like we're only halfway through the season, seven episodes in, and I'm already having a much better, I, I don't know, the pacing's so much better than some of these six episode seasons like on <clears throat> Disney Plus uh, that Jeremy and I have been complaining about. And so uh, I really, I, I can't wait until the, what, July 11th when, when the season starts again. I, I wish that I could have kept up with uh, Better Call Saul, but um, I had the AMC Plus subscription in a bundle with some other network that showed home improvement and home repair and <laughs> other those kind of shows for someone in living in my household. And when that subscription ended, so did my access to AMC Plus. So as mm. soon as it gets all to... Is, where do they where do they dump it after AMC Plus? Does it eventually go to Netflix? Netflix, yeah. Okay, yeah. Once it's all uh, there, I'm gonna catch up. Right, because uh, the uh, Netflix just finally, after like a couple of years, they finally loaded season five because season five aired originally in 2020, basically at the beginning of the uh, pandemic, and they didn't load that until this past April. I think that's when I mentioned it on this podcast uh, on the mm. ritual. Mm, okay. Yeah. I mean, I still haven't seen it, but I'm glad that Caesar that you've seen it. But is that what you have to share for the, your ritual? I'm assuming it's a little bit different. Um, no, actually, when I, I thought about uh, what that show was, the, there's a show that I just finished the last episode um, in the last week. And I don't know if you've seen it, but it's on Apple uh, TV Plus and it's called Severance. Oh, I've heard that's a really good show. That's, it is. It's on it's, my list. It's a good show. And I season one just ended. Well, it probably ended a long time ago, but I just got through the end of season one. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's got a very interesting cast. It's got the guy from uh, from uh, Parks and Rec. Um, yeah, what's his name? Um, I can't remember the guy's name. Yeah. Uh, it's got Carmine Falcone. Oh. Um, <laughs> And uh, Christopher Walken and oh, Patricia Arquette. And the, the concept behind it, I was talking to some people about it, but the concept behind it is so fascinating. Like, let's say that you hate your job or, or you hate going to school. Imagine if you could separate your brain for those, those hours that you're working where you don't remember it at all. Like you go to sleep, essentially, and then wake up and your workday is done. And now you're just going along, happy-go-lucky. It's just that there's a you who has been severed, who goes in and does the work. You just don't remember any of it. I mean, the it's fascinating. The thing that I found most interesting about it, though, is I I finished season one, and I can't tell if it's science fiction, drama, comedy, thriller. I I, I can't like say that's definitely what it is. It can go in any direction right now. So. I would highly recommend it if you haven't seen it. It's it's a it's a very very interesting series. Ooh, Ken, you might have to share your Apple TV. <laughs> I got you, bro. We're gonna expense it on the uh, on the weekly reel uh, yeah. account, the expense account. <laughs> got you. Uh, for me, I actually watched a movie, actually a remake of a movie. That I I watched the American version of Old Boy. Uh, the basically American remake of the Korean classic Old Boy, and starring Josh Brolin. I haven't seen the Korean version, which I heard is like a masterpiece, 
And this one is not so much a masterpiece. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it's on Netflix, though. They so, butchered it, huh? It's not bad. Oh. But it's like, I heard the original is really good, which I, I still need to watch. And it's just, but the premise sounds really interesting because it's like a revenge tale where this businessman is kidnapped and held captive for 20 years, then unexpectedly released. And then he's trying to figure out who who did that to him and why. Hmm. You might want to say that, uh, look how they massacred my boy. <laughs> not that yet, was Ken. not bad. That was not bad. <laughs> I warmed I up because, yeah, I, I warmed up on, on uh, from last Thursday because last Thursday I butchered uh, my... <laughs> my impression of Vito. <laughs> anyway, we'll say that for later in the podcast. <laughs> All right, but we have a little bit of episode cleanup from last week. We watched the Hong Kong classic Infernal Affairs, and we ran a poll for that. What was that, Ken? Uh, we kept it simple this week. Uh, so, obviously, Infernal Affairs was the... I mean, it, it was the direct inspiration for Martin Scorsese's uh, remake four years later in 2006 for The Departed. So we asked you guys, the audience, which movie did you like more, Infernal Affairs or The Departed? Um, actually, before I reveal the results, uh, Caesar, have you watched Infernal Affairs and or The Departed? I have not. Oh. I've not seen either of them. Really? Ooh, okay. Yeah. Well, we won't um, spoil it, uh, but we will reveal this, uh, the, the results. And... In a very close, I guess, vote, uh, and it does, uh, it does jive with uh, like how we, how I thought that it was gonna go. Infernal Affairs pulled one out at fifty-seven percent uh, as far as people who voted on this. See, I'm actually pretty surprised on that because The Departed, it's Martin Scorsese, it's DiCaprio, it's Matt Damon, Jack Nicholson, and it so won the like, Oscar for won, Best Picture. Yeah. So I'm pretty surprised on that, but. I would have I would have voted Infernal Affairs also surprisingly. Mm -hmm. Caesar, if you do want to watch either Infernal Affairs, it's available to rent on Apple, and The Departed is actually out on HBO Max, and we're still not sponsored. Oh, okay. I I'd, I'd like to take a look at that. I I've had an aversion to um, DiCaprio movies, and so I think I what? might have seen it and just gone. Uh, Jack I don't Dawson. Know. You don't like Jack Dawson? Uh, I have mixed emotions about them. I mean, there's good quality acting there. I'm not going to say no, but I just, just not Ooh. that big of a fan. He Cooper might like Drake. Infernal Affairs better then. Yeah, with uh, Tony Lee Young instead of DiCaprio. And is it um, uh, in Korean? Uh, no, it's in. Um, oh, it's, well, it's, it's Hong in Kong. Yeah. So it's in English. No, no, it's uh, well, subtitled. Part, yeah, it's subtitled. subtitled. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Thank goodness. Just don't watch Jeremy's version, apparently. <laughs> yeah. I, apparently, I bought, rented it off iTunes, which is now defunct. So, oh. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So d don't watch those subs there. But, guys, if you want to participate in our episode-related polls, you can participate on Twitter and Instagram every Tuesday at Weekly Real. Ken, do you want to do your... Um, Vito impression one more time before we we're gonna make it off it you can't refuse <laughs> hey some words came out <laughs> so there... 
<laughs> and with that, we're going to be talking about The Godfather today. It's the 1940s and an organized crime family must settle some affairs as the patriarch is starting to age. And so we're going to be talking about The Godfather 1972. It's the 50th anniversary of this movie. Very special time. It's my first time watching and it's your guys's who knows how many times you guys have seen this movie now. Manyth time. Yeah. Many a time. So yeah. Spoiler warning everyone who's listening, go watch it on Paramount Plus right now or go buy the DVD like Ken has the digital version and they update all that 4K. crazy stuff. And come back, listen to us. And we're going to jump into our double feature. And so, Ken, you're going to come up with a question, or you came up with a question offline, that neither neither me or Caesar know that what you're going to ask. And I also came up with a question as well. I'll go first. So, I want to ask you guys, this is a really long movie. What, or whose, I should say, storyline was your favorite in this movie or which plot thread did you like the most oh my goodness this mm. is so hard oh, for me it's a two-horse race uh it's obviously between Vito, the original godfather and michael i will go with al pacino just because uh you get again i'm, I'm a huge star wars fan uh cover your ears uh caesar because i know you're a huge star trek fan <laughs> earmuffs uh but i I think the reason why i prefer michael's storyline more is because of where he starts he starts off as a war veteran you know everyone you know uh coming off of world war ii and you know everyone respects him they know like even uh his enemies they're like oh you know he's a civilian um they leave him alone uh but then events happen events happen obviously mainly to his dad And he feels an obligation to be able to kind of fill in that role. And you get to see that character arc uh, from, you know, being a war veteran to just being a ruthless, cunning ruler. I mean, the the Don, when when he becomes uh, the Don of the Corleone family by the end, he is basically more ruthless, in my opinion, than Vito ever was, because I feel like uh, it's and I'll only speak on the Godfather because I, I don't want to reveal any spoilers for Godfather part two and three. Uh, but the way Vito is portrayed in the Godfather is, you know, he, is, you know, he's more pragmatic. He, he'll, uh, you know, he knows when to kind of let off the gas a little bit, but he knows when to kind of press, especially, you know, when he had Luca Brazzi um, on at his side in the beginning, when you're kind of, you know, kind of uh, understanding the lore in the beginning. Tough choice, though. That was a good question. Hmm. That is yeah. a good question. And and Michael, because Michael is the one character that the movie starts with and ends with. Um, that's in in kind of like central to the whole thing. Um, I I for me the 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 storyline or the story the 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 part of the arc that has always um, intrigued me. And, and again, I don't want to get into uh, part two or part three, but it's like the beginning of an of the overall arc that we see here in 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 the original. Is this quest that Michael has 
to where he's he he comes into the movie outside of the family. He goes he because of circumstances has to become part of the family business and then all of of his workings in there is to try to get the whole family out of the family business. And to be legitimate, right? Right. So he's and and so it's just like I'm on the outside, now I'm in and and there's this pull for me to be in, but I'm just going to do everything I can, sacrifice whatever I need to sacrifice to try to get me out or just to bring us all out of it. And um, and that's uh, and that's probably because if you see the whole story arc of the entire franchise, um, it it really is set up here in in um, in the original. Yeah, that's a good point because I do feel like the story is not over. I really like where the movie ended with Michael, especially because I agree on all points that you guys made. I was a bit surprised when. Uh, Michael had to travel somewhere else and like stay there for at least a year. I'm like, oh, he's like in hiding pretty much after killing a couple cops pretty much. Uh, but I, one thing I had to mention, just since it was my first time watching, I'm like, okay, The Godfather, Marlon Brando. And then when he gets shot <laughs> in the beginning at the grocery store, I, like I'm just going to say like his storyline probably surprised me the most because... I didn't expect so much Michael and less. I expected maybe more, I should say. But all his screen time is, is, I'm like glued to the screen. But when he got shot in front of the grocery store or getting fruit or whatever, it's just like, is he? Did he just die? And then, and then he actually dies later. I was like, did he just fake death and then real death? Like I was, I was a bit surprised that he died in this movie. I didn't know he was gonna die. Yeah, he died twice essentially. But uh, yeah, I mean, I remember watching this for the first time, and uh, when he got shot, I was like, it caught me off guard as well. Uh, but then it, because he's such a huge presence, Marlon Brando, uh, within this movie. You know, he's a larger than life character, and. I think it was strategic in the way, I guess, Puzo wrote it and uh, the way Coppola ended up directing it. Um, it was strategic in the way that it, it set him aside, put him on the sidelines because, you know, obviously he, he did get shot and he's still recovering from getting shot five times. That it gave a lot of other characters within the family a chance to kind of develop their own characters. So you got to know Sonny, you got to know, uh, you got to know Michael, Clemenza, and all those other guys. Well, for when I think of the the two death thing, um, in some ways I think that it's almost it was that um, they had to do it that way. There had to be those two things that happened because. Both of those were instrumental in developing who Michael was, mm-hmm. right? The first attack is what brought Michael into the family, or the, the first attempt at death was what brought him into the family. And then the second one is what made him the Don. Mm. And the movie had to end with him being the Don um, and, uh, and to have complete control. So I know if you, when you get to the end, uh, they tell Tom that he, or um, Michael tells Tom that he's no longer going to be the consigliere and uh, that his father can do it. 
but if his father is still his chief advisor, he will be the one who's essentially calling the shots. Mm. It really wouldn't be Michael. So it doesn't solidify until Vito dies. And so I think that that was the only way that he, they could accomplish those two things in, in the Michael storyline. Yeah, the, the way that the writing weaved between Vito and Michael, I think, was a like really intense way of passing the torch. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, the one thing um, that I actually do appreciate uh, later on in the movie, it's, I feel like it's an underrated scene. It's that scene uh, when Tessio and uh, Clemenza are at the end. They're they're worried about how Barzini is like literally kind of closing in on their territory, and they're worried uh, about like kind of losing, I guess, their share of, I guess, like their territory, and they're. Each time, they, it feels like they're just undermined. It's like, why am I listening to this kid? You know, they weren't really taking him too seriously. But the one thing I appreciated from Vito um, is that he's like, if you want to, you know, think, be a friend to Michael. Listen to what he has to say. And, you know, like he, he was already kind of grooming him, uh, especially after Sonny had, uh, Sonny died. And, you know, obviously... The family business wasn't going to go to Fredo, let's be honest. <laughs> so uh, I, it's one of those scenes where I do appreciate it because he understood that his time was limited. He was already sick and he's like, you know what? Listen to Michael because he's going to be the Don. So whether you like it or not, you might as well start listening to him now. Yeah, the passing on of the authority to Michael really lets you know the wisdom um, behind v- that Vito had and yeah. understanding what the future would be because there's a lot of people I mean just forget about in the in the mafia just in business in, in any organization there are people who stick around way too long uh, they're longer than they should be to the detriment of the organization just because they want to continue to have power or significance and uh, so uh, for Vito to recognize that for the family to go to the next level, it had to pass from him, I think was uh, was uh, a very wise um, decision for him to do. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's part of the reason why I love that another HBO show, Succession, because it's basically that same thing. Right. Also a good show. Also a very good show. Jeremy, I have to, to get on that one. I have <laughs> to tell you that when I uh, when I saw, I think probably one of the first times that I saw this, I thought that Vito died because his grandson was just shooting chemicals up in his face the whole time. He's running around going, true, you know. And I'm thinking, isn't he going to die from that? I mean, is it? and then there he goes. He just falls over dead. Yeah, I, but, I love uh, that scene because it's it's a uh, it's a very poetic way uh, for him it's like because obviously he was feared and for him to kind of die in that manner where he was playing with his uh, grandson um, mm-hmm. was it was very creative because yeah. like anyone could write it's like oh he went out with a blaze of glory got shot like a million times just like the first time he should have died that would probably be like uh, the odds on betting favorite of how the Don would uh, would die uh, but Anyway, uh, let's move on to 
my half of the double feature and so i'm gonna i'm gonna kind of steal from the uh some of our awards i'm not actually gonna call it an award but um i wanted to ask you both and jeremy i'll start with you because this movie is Mm -hmm. obviously we're celebrating the 50th anniversary it technically came out in march of 1972 uh Jeremy, what was one thing that aged well for you and one thing that did not age so well with you with The Godfather? You know, that was one of the things I was really impressed by this movie when I th- I remembered it was a 1972 movie. And we've watched 70s movies here on the podcast before, like Dirty Harry. 40s like, movies, too, with uh, for- It's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> the, and it, the way that it was shot, the way that it was... It, yeah, it felt like a 70s movie, like as if it was... 70s style but if you were to release it today i still feel like it it still really holds up the way uh the characters flow and i like this movie you can easily tell that mafia movies any crime family any succession story uh i feel like draws inspiration would draw inspiration from this movie and i feel like that's something that's aged well really well with this movie something that hasn't aged so well i mean it takes place in the 40s so there was some stuff that they say that isn't exactly appropriate but for the most part everything like holds up today mm. yeah pretty yeah, much I, agreed with that i'd Go have ahead, to agree with that too yeah i think um the storytelling um was su- superb uh, the way that every little detail um, that they put into telling the story. I think that it, it just shows that um, Mario Puzo is a is a master storyteller. Um, I think that what aged well, um, interestingly enough, I think the wardrobe, not the hairstyles, but I think the wardrobe <laughs> aged really well. That's true. Um, because a lot of the the uh, the the clothing that they wore, um, if you change their hair, you would not be totally surprised to see those kind of styles today. Um, and so I thought that was one interesting thing that um, that was, uh, you know, that held up. I'd have to agree also, though, um, that what didn't hold up was just the the language. Yeah. And yeah. and uh, the 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 racial slurs and uh, the way that they talk to women and and the role of women, I think, Oof. especially in, in the climate that we're in today, it, pro- it probably doesn't uh, do well. Um, that being said, they made this movie in 72, which is not in your lifetime, but definitely in my lifetime. And uh, in 72, that language was still considered um, not... not it wasn't considered okay to use, but it was okay to say. Mm. You, know, you could put it in movies and and in television, um, and that was all the way up until I mean, some people I don't think realize that up until the early '90s, um, mm. there were racial slurs that you can't say today that appear in um, you know regular network Russia. television shows. <laughs> Like L.A. Law, which is one of my favorites, I have I thoroughly believe that the reason that they don't have L.A. Law in syndication or where you can rent the episodes um, is because of the language that they were using. And they just don't want to take the risk of putting it out there or having to edit it out or 
or those kind right. of things. So I think that clearly didn't age well. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. Um, like with, with kind of going back to what has age your, you know, your, um, take on it. Like what was your favorite, um, I guess piece of wardrobe that you saw just kind of, uh, on this latest rewatch, uh, where it's like, Oh man, that looks so cool that it would be something that you kind of want to wear. Well, I will tell you that what I saw that was so cool, I would have to lose quite a bit of weight to be able to wear and make it look cool. But uh, back then, they wore uh, three-piece suits and the vest was short. Mm-hmm. Like The vest didn't come down and cover the belt and, you know, like, like you see vests today. The vest stopped at the waist. And so if you moved around a little bit, the vest rode up on you a little bit, right? And that, for me, that was, I think that is still, um, if the shirts were tighter, which is how they're worn today more, that that would be right in fashion, um, probably higher end fashion today. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's there's a scene where Tom Hagen is walking across and he's just wearing, uh, he's he's got his jacket off, his tie is undone and he's wearing the vest and the shirt and you can just see it's like you know at belly button height and you can see the shirt in between the vest and his pants and i i think that's uh i think that's still good fashion for today mm. you want to take that same question uh jeremy was there any like uh since we we're talking about what has age well with the fashion was there like a particular outfit that you uh caught, kind of caught your eye yeah i mean when michael's three-piece suit like at the end you know when he was sitting down and he was um the hat too the yeah i was like dude especially the, i don't know like um the the vest we were talking about the vest how many buttons it has mm. <laughs> it's just there's it's a very interesting like very, but still stylish like suit i i was like damn really looking at that but also talking about uh tom hagen i was like I didn't realize that was uh, Robert Duvall Robert for like Duvall. the longest time. <laughs> yeah. He looked he looked really young, right? <laughs> yeah, I was like, how come he looks so darn familiar? Yeah, 50 and he had a then. vocabulary, yeah. like he could speak words, like all of, all of his um, later. Where he's movies. mumbling. Yeah, he's just. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, he's very eloquent in this movie. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Oh man, well. For me, like in terms of picking an outfit real quick before I jump in on, I guess, my answer to, to my own question, I kind of like the Las Vegas look with Mo Green and and, oh. and, and Fredo. Uh, it, I feel like it's something that you can kind of it's I feel like it's still Las Vegas style. Like if someone were to kind of walk around the strip right now wearing what they wear, it still would hold up right now. Especially the glasses. Yeah. Oh, I know. Those, True. Those. <laughs> and we might get into those glasses a little bit later on. Oh, yeah. Especially Moe's glasses. <laughs> yeah. Or glass. <laughs> we'll tease that uh, for later. All right. Well, to answer my own question as far as, uh, I guess, one thing that aged well and one thing that didn't age well. For for me, uh, the one thing that aged well, and, and you guys touched on this the storytelling aspect, but just to kind of uh, specify within that whole thing, uh, and with the apologies to the Fast franchise, because we do like to talk about that, right, Jeremy? We talk about it too much. <laughs> yeah, we do. Well, with apologies to the Fast franchise, I mean, the fact that family 
is at the center of this story over really things like the mafia or violence or, you know, all that stuff. I feel like at the heart of this uh, movie is the family. And it's not even just the Corleone family. We're talking about even the, like the, like the Corleone family, as far as like the, the couple regimes, you know, like even like the, just the random guys that are up, that make up the, I guess the mafia aspect, because I kind of go back to one of the more underrated scenes with uh, Clemenza and how he was teaching Michael. And this is before Michael, obviously, uh, like decides to join the family or, 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 you know, does this whole thing with, uh, killing Solozzo and, and, uh, and McCluskey. He's teaching them like how to make spaghetti sauce with sausage and meatballs and a little bit of sugar. And it's still one of my favorite scenes of all time because it, it just, I don't know. It's like one of those scenes where it just adds a little bit of character to the movie and it makes you appreciate every, you know all the i guess the more obvious scenes you know what i mean I, I think that was so critical to the movie because it reinforced this idea that this isn't a gang uh, mm. that this is a family they mm. eat together they it the the whole concept behind um how um the five families worked together and integrated with each other was never uh, uh, I do it for money or or anything else. It was really uh, a family business. And so that scene there was just one of you know many that just reinforced this idea that that these are these are people who do life together and um, and and it, it made the connections um, when someone died even more significant. And it made the betrayals so harsh. That's yeah. true. You know, um, when Sal, whenever when they figure out that Sal is the guy, and um, I mean, you you just sink because he's been there the whole time. Mm-hmm. And then when it, finally he's the one who it comes out that he's the one who's who's uh, been the inside guy for Barzini. Oh, I, like I was just like, oh man, not not fish. yeah that was i feel like that's another underrated scene i feel like that like you said just hits home well the thing uh that i thought that didn't really age well um it's kind of a random scene it's uh it's when sunny finds out that carlo's been beating um what do you call that beating connie and they do that fight scene Wow, that was a really bad fight scene. <laughs> I mean, there true. was a couple of punches that definitely did not connect. Uh, it reminded me of one of uh, one of the uh, short episodes that we've produced <laughs> on YouTube, right, Jeremy? <laughs> yep, definitely didn't. Some different didn't connect very well. Yeah, that's I mean, true. I mean, if it, it's a little bit of a stretch that we're trying to uh, connect our time to rise films short uh, with incognito with the, one of the greatest movies of all time, the Godfather, but that's how I'm going to connect it. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I like how you brought that in there. That was good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they're, sure. they're always mentioned in the same sentence. Yeah. The Godfather and the incognito. All the, are the, they always? Yeah. Always. Always. <laughs> yeah. From, you know, the bottom to the top. <laughs> I'll have to remember that. By the way, what was the deal with when Sonny found out that uh, 
Connie had been beaten by Carlo. The, the way he like bit into his fist, that was kind of weird too. <laughs> he was like, yeah, and he wouldn't, and he actually didn't even let go. Carlo didn't even let go. Yeah, that was weird. That was weird. Anyway, I feel like that's a that that was a common um, expression back in the forties. Mm. That that people did that, and and the reason I say that is because if you look at the Looney Tunes cartoons, which were uh, created right around then, they do that a lot. Like they go, you know, dig their put their fists up and just dig their teeth into it. As, I don't know if it's like to to suppress your anger or to to calm you down, keep you in check. But I think that was probably a, a pretty common uh, expression because you see everybody doing it in the cartoons. Maybe I mean, gotta look that up. <laughs> kind yeah. of curious now. Well, we've been talking about um, Michael a lot though this this uh, this podcast so far. But I want to ask our audience. What is your favorite Al Pacino movie? Because we've been talking about The Godfather. We, I want to mention, don't pick The Godfather. <laughs> He's made plenty of other movies. Uh, guys, what is your favorite Al Pacino movie? Caesar, have you have another one besides The Godfather? Um, well, if I say, I think it's hard to, for me to say that there's any movie other than The Godfather. Actually, I think Godfather 2 I probably I like better than Godfather 1. Um, but if I go outside the franchise, the best movie that has Al Pacino in it for me, the one that I could watch over and over again, um, is a, a movie called Any Given Sunday. Ooh, that's a good one. And uh, that's Al Pacino and uh, Dennis Quaid is in it. Jamie um, Foxx? Uh, Jamie Foxx is in there. Um uh, what's her name from Something About Mary? Cameron Diaz. Cameron Diaz, thank you. Uh, it, it's just had a really interesting cast, but also um, it's it's Pacino's moving away from crime um, dramas uh, because he kind of had this whole stint, you know, everything from uh, The Godfather all the way up to Carlito's Way. It's just, it's all crime stuff. And so when you see him as the coach of the Miami Sharks, um, it was a it was a kind of a turn. And you really just sometimes looked at him and expected him to get angry at somebody and reach back and pull out a gun and just shoot him. Uh, because it's just normally what you'd see Pacino doing. But um, yeah, any given Sunday. Football, Pacino, good movie. Nice. How about you, Ken, real quick? Oh man, I I, I don't, like I, again. I was trying to f- uh, find a movie that is because Godfather Part Two I think is my I guess favorite in terms of um, in terms of his performance overall. But if I have to go non Godfather, I would have to go with oh man, I gotta go with I guess ah, let's go with Scarface because. Okay. You gotta say hello to my little friend. <laughs> heat was really close, by the way. See, that's uh, because, what I was gonna say. Yeah, heat was really close. So, guys, if you wanna tell us what your favorite Al Pacino movie, the listeners, uh, you can go on our Twitter or Instagram, go comment there at Weekly Real, or if you wanna send a long form message to us, you can always email at us. Yes, right, that then? email is uh, Weekly Real Pod. 
at gmail.com at gmail.com all right guys let's take a quick break All right, welcome back from the break, and guys, let's get right into the weekly real awards. Uh, so, Caesar, this is going to be your first weekly real awards. This is kind of like our fun MTV movie awards inspired way where we can just I don't know find ways to talk, talk about different topics. And so, uh, the first weekly real award that we want to give out is the I don't feel so good award for best death because let's be honest. We were talking about family and the the aspects of storytelling, but yes, there was a lot of death in this movie. So uh, which one was your favorite, Caesar? There are so many to choose from. And I, you know, the the way that gangster number four fell off the steps and rolled down, I think is just (laughs) classic. Um, (laughs) So it's really hard to choose, but I have to say the one that I liked the most, the one that, that I think about when I think about, okay, which death? in this movie is the one that really just comes home is uh Luca Brasi. Oh, that's um good. because I I I know the Don told him what to do to pretend and I just had a feeling the first time I saw that that when he walked in they knew something was up like something in the way he was talking. And when he said when they asked him uh, when he said uh, what's in it for me? Instead of saying, no, there's no way I would betray the Don, which I think would have been the first response that that, that would have, if it was true, that would have been his first response. But anyway, the way that he died and his tongue out of his mouth, you know, I mean, that um, horrible and just his eyes were popping out, too. Yeah. And interesting, everybody who gets choked never tries to punch the guy who's choking him. Right? They're just like, okay, I'm going to die now, and I'm going to struggle, but they don't try to get the guy, you know, I'd be like, you know, Jackie Channing it up, right? <laughs> Flailing around, that's yeah, for sure, at least. Yeah, right? But, but they're just kind of like, especially with Luca Brasi, because I know that he's got that thing through his hand, but he got another hand. Yeah. <laughs> I would be like grabbing, and that dude was huge, so. Um, anyway, but that... That for me was storyline significant, and um, the his face was very very memorable, and so that's that's my uh, Best. that's my uh, I don't feel so good award for the Godfather. <laughs> he didn't feel so good. I don't think so either. But the good uh, the crazy thing about that is that they foreshadowed, or you know, they set it up really good in that. The setup with that whole scene was him wearing a bulletproof vest. Oh, yeah. Which then really didn't matter at all during that scene. So I uh, just thought I'd drop in that little tidbit. Uh, Jeremy, what was your uh, favorite death uh, and winner of the I Don't Feel So Good Award? For me, it was Sonny. Sonny's death when he, he's at the causeway gets mowed down. <laughs> just like all, everyone just popped up with machine guns at the tolls. I'm like, holy crap and he just gets obliterated and i chose it i I was hoping no one would choose it just because it reminded me of kenny in robocop (laughs) when he gets mowed down by ed 209 and i'm like i'm like okay maybe they took that from the godfather just because so many bullets (laughs) in that scene so many bullets oh my goodness 
I, I would have loved to see how, like, the behind the scenes on how they uh, set up all the blood that was supposed to come out from, like, the clothing and all the bullet holes that came out. That would have been pretty cool to see uh, since they shot that in the early 70s. Yeah, and because when they get to that wide shot where their son is just laying on the ground, his, like, suit is kind of fixed up again. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, I was like, eh, continuity error. I get it. Well, I was about to say that the that... I, I think that that's one of the best scenes there because the brutality sends a message, right? But when they cut back to that, 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 that one shot you were talking about where the, the guys who were supposed to follow him, his guys, were finally rode up and they show him farther back and he's on the ground, there is way less blood mm-hmm. on his suit, you know, while he's <laughs> on the ground there than... Just like a two seconds later, when they saw him getting shot in the face, you know, I mean, so that every time I watch it, I'm like, because uh, now his suit's clean. And <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. An underrated brutal part of that was after he gets mulled down by like a million bullets, <laughs> he literally gets kicked in the was it the face or something yeah, like that. Yeah. I was like, in the face. <laughs> it's like, gotta make sure he's dead, guys. Oh, man. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, my God. That was brutal. Look how they massacred my boy. There it is. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> I had to. Good uh, well, my winner is going to be a little bit of a curveball. Uh, my winner for the I Don't Feel So Good Award for Best Death, Khartoum, a.k.a. Jack Waltz's horse. Oh, Dude, that's oh, such an iconic scene. Yeah, Obviously, true. Waltz was really proud of, of Khartoum's. Like, oh. Look at Khartoum. I want to put him out to stud. And oh my goodness, instead, the Don just organized something where he literally put him out to pasture. So uh, it's such an iconic scene. You know, you get the mis- you know, the, the eerie Godfather like music, and it's kind of like panning over, and his, uh, the blanket kind of comes off a little, reveals a little bit of blood. It's like, oh, what is that? And all of a sudden, he's like waking up and he's like, oh, 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 <laughs> so good. Jeremy, what'd you think about that scene watching that for the first time? I like I thought he might have killed someone that he was close to. I didn't know it would be the freaking horse. And for one, that horse head looks super real. I hope they didn't kill an actual horse. What, do you know the behind the scenes with that horse head? I didn't look that up. I don't uh, know either. Caesar, do you know? Oh, no. no, but it was pretty it was pretty lifelike. That's what I'm saying. Horse head. I'm kind of scared that they actually killed a horse back in the 70s. (laughs) I hope they didn't. And and again, that would be like something that animal rights groups would definitely have a problem with uh, in 2022 for sure. Right. Anyway, let's get right into the next award. The I Am Groot Award. It's a personal favorite of ours, you know, because, I mean, you can't have movies without characters. So, Caesar, who is your winner for the I Am Groot Award for favorite character? Well... There are a lot to choose from, but the character that I really, really um, enjoyed, just because so many times I felt like he was on the verge of breaking the, uh, what do you call it? You gentlemen would know when, um, when he's, uh, when the character is like looking at the audience. Mm, Breaking the The fourth fourth wall. wall. The fourth wall. Okay. So that's... um, I I I loved um, Robert Duvall's performance as Tom Hagen, and yet 
so many times you look at him and his expression and he looks like the guy that knows already everything that's about to happen and he's just mm. kind of smirking because you guys are slowly trying to figure it out. And, and sometimes it even feels like he's about to look at the camera and go, you know? <laughs> Do the gym. <laughs> exactly. Um, but it just interesting casting and um, I, I, loved, I loved the character. I think it was the exact addition that they needed to the cast to not make this so um, monocultural. Mm. And I thought, I thought, I, I just, yeah, love Tom Hagen. He was, for me, he was like Gandalf, yeah. right? He's just like this, this presence that there's something more to him, but we don't know exactly what it is about him, but there's something to him. And he has this wisdom, but, we don't always listen to it, and it's not always so evident now, but later on it is. And uh, so, yeah, Tom Hagen would definitely be my favorite character um, in uh, in that in The Godfather. That's a good one. Uh, and, mm. and only because I feel like uh, some of my favorite uh, scenes were early on. His dialogue with Jack Waltz. Um, is so good like at the the actual studio and then later when waltz brings him into into the house to eat or whatever uh it, there were times when it was just kind of be relaxed and then it would just turn intense because then waltz would go from zero to 100 in like a millisecond so yeah jeremy uh for me dang i would probably go with michael because this is my first viewing. I've only seen it once. And I actually didn't think Al Pacino was going to get that big of a role when I was first watching the movie. Because you're watching the whole opening sequence. They're introducing all the family members. And he's kind of introduced a little bit uh, last, right? He comes into the party a little later uh, in his uh, military dress. And basically, the way that his character fell in, in, I guess, morally from where he started to where he ends up, I felt like it was such an interesting arc from, like, Caesar, you mentioned earlier, all these ups and downs that he had to go through for to end up as the Don at the end of the movie. Because I was like, he better end up, if he ends up as the Don at the end of the movie, that's really good. And that, and that's how it went. So I was, his character arc was probably my favorite because I didn't expect it to actually happen. Yeah, one of my favorite um, underrated Michael scenes is after Michael gets literally punched. Like, literally, it seems like he gets punched by, like, I don't know, Mike Tyson or something like that. I don't know, McCluskey, really? He's not, I don't know, he didn't seem like that big of a guy, yeah. that powerful. But, man, his face got all jacked, right? It's that scene when he's, like, sitting down, and then they do that slow, like, like zoom in shot and he's like you know this is the beginning where you get to see him like cold and calculated about how you know he's talking about how like ways to kind of plot against Salozzo and talking about or trying to basically put it out there that you know people would like uh like a story where there's uh I guess corrupt cops and everything and I feel like that's really the first glimpse of where you get to see Michael um, just showing off Don, the Don characteristics. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's where you see him really, uh, the cunning part, right? So it's not just you're pushing me, I'm pushing you. 
he's now calculating and trying to see what assets they have in order to manipulate the situation and make it work. And uh, yeah, so I, I agree with you, Ken. I think that 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 part right there, that conversation where they're sitting in the room and trying to figure it out, and Michael's kind of like um, vocally just pushing in each direction, trying to see what the limits are based on what everybody's telling him, and then this plan formulates as he's talking. And uh, so that yeah, that was that was that was pivotal in in the movie. Yeah. They- and it makes it even funnier that everyone's laughing at him right after that scene. And then even Sonny's like, ah, bada bing. He's like, oh, just because you can say, like, oh, um, you know, you can't just like shoot him from like far away. Like you're in the war. You actually have to go bada bing right in front or whatever. So it's it's one of my favorite scenes where it's like there's a dichotomy. There's like really serious. And then it just you kind of it, it's like, again, like a whole family scene where it's like sometimes there are serious family members like a Michael. And then you get like the ones that are more jokey, even though sometimes really they're hotheads like Sonny. And I don't know. And then obviously like Tessio and Clemens are like, ah, well, he's just a kid. Uh, he's just talking out of his ass just because, you know, he got beat up, <laughs> beat up one night, right. you know? But anyway, um, my favorite character, um, well, honorable, Real quick, Clemenza, mm. two uh, two iconic scenes. I mentioned the pasta sauce, but I mean, dude, one of the iconic lines in this after he ends up taking care of Frankie, leave the gun, take the cannoli. So that's, uh, I wanted to give an honorable mention for Clemenza, but my, uh, I got to give it to the Don. Got Vito's such an iconic, um, iconic character, uh, I think offline Caesar and I were talking about how we were both watching the offer. And I think one of my favorite episodes is when they reveal the, you know, the person who does play Marlon Brando in that show. It literally like the way they portrayed it. It's like, Oh my goodness, we got Marlon F and Brando for this movie. And really from the get go, from the opening scene, I think it's one of the best opening scenes that you've, that you'll ever see because there's that stage presence that Marlon Brando has. He's, you know, kind of a little bit past his prime, but you know, he's still well known. And then this is kind of what rejuvenates his career. And, uh, man, like, like he just has a presence about him. And like, obviously those lines that he delivers, are just so iconic. They'll, they're timeless. The a hundred years from now, we're still going to be talking about the Godfather. That first scene was kind of creepy to me because I had actually rewatching it in preparation for um, the podcast. I didn't notice until literally a few days ago that in that opening scene, he has a cat mm-hmm. like in his lap. He's playing with his cat and it just brought back these images. I don't know if you guys ever saw the something island of Dr. Moreau. Um which, I know which movie you're talking about. I forget what the what the island is called. Uh, yeah, well, it's it had Brando, right? So this is Brando, yeah. like much later than than The Godfather. So he's really, really old. But animals and creepy and uh, and again for me, that's just like that was the opening salvo of setting it up that this is a family, right? This is not we're meeting in an executive office building on the penthouse of a downtown Manhattan building you know you're at my home and my cat's here 
That is pretty awesome. That is pretty yeah. awesome. But yeah, I mean, such an iconic opening opening scene. Uh, guys, let's get right into our next award, the Avengers Assemble Award, where we talk about our favorite scene. There's like a million of them in this movie. Caesar, go ahead and try to pick one, narrow it down. <laughs> well, I have to pick in, in, in line with kind of how things that we've been talking, or at least I've been talking about in relation to the movie throughout the whole movie, is the idea of Michael... Um, Oh, there's a quote from the third Godfather that I want to use, but I'm not going to use because it's not from this movie. Uh, those of you who are Godfather fans know exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, I know. Um, but uh, there is a scene uh, when um, Michael goes to the hospital and he gets there and the police had gotten all of the private security to leave and the police were gone and clearly there was going to be an assassination attempt on his father so he goes up to there he finds his father he tells the nurse we're going to move him into another room they move him into another room as michael is hearing footsteps come up and he looks at his father and um it's in that moment that the don's eyes open and he can't breathe because he's got stuff on his you know he's got tubes going in all of him and he's he's just out from recovering from uh, all of the bullet wounds. And um, Michael looks down at him and he says, I'll take care of you, Pop. I'm with you now. I'm with you. And that's the moment that Michael is telling him, I'm now in the family business. I'm not the outsider that you're going to keep me out and keep me away from it and keep me separate. I'm in. And we don't really ever know if it was Michael who didn't want to be in the business or if it was the Don wanting him to have a different life. But in that moment, he said that and then it cut back to the Don and you could see that his eye was now, there wasn't a tear. So it wasn't like one of those cheesy, there's a tear, but you could see that right here, it was moist, right? Yeah. And so that for me... Um, I mean, there's a lot of really great scenes, but that for me is my favorite because that's the one that pulls Michael in. If you know what I mean. I know what you mean. Okay. Um, to add to that, I think he was sad because uh, later on in the in the movie, the, fir the first one, obviously, because we're talking about it, there's that scene where... You know, um, where he's talking about, oh, I drink wine more than I used to. And then Michael's uh, just, you know, affirming him. It's like, it's good for you, Pop. And then Vito mentions how I never wanted this life for you. Mm. And because he always envisioned him as Senator Corleone or, you know, like someone that would actually make a difference in a more legitimate way uh, in a in a more public office instead of through the the Corleone family. I think that's why I think he had that moist eye <laughs> because I think he didn't really want that for him, but circumstances changed the plans and uh, and he knew that he couldn't talk him out of it. Well, and he probably, I mean, that was that's a great observation. I think he probably knew that Sonny couldn't be the guy, right? Sonny was still alive at this time, but I think he knew that Sonny just didn't have the temperament to be the Don. And um, and so he, I, I think that was where he acquiesced to the idea that Michael was going to be part of the family. But um, I think it, he just, he, he came to that conclusion, 
It couldn't be Sonny. It couldn't be Fredo. Um, and I don't know if this is a spoiler or not, but if you get far enough into the trilogy, I think Connie could have been the Don. <laughs> Shoot. So You wouldn't have known it from watching no, this first one, man. No, I, I feel not. like she was arguably the worst character, uh, worst written character, oh, I should say. Yes, and costumed horribly. When mm-hmm. they tried to make her look pregnant, that was just absolutely horrible. But uh, well, something me. comes out of that lady. Something, something comes out of her, so. Yeah. You gotta keep Ooh. going, Jeremy. Gotta keep going. <laughs> Shoot, kind of scared now. Uh, hey, Jeremy. Obviously, this was your first screening of The Godfather. Mm-hmm. What was your favorite scene um, that you want to give that Avengers uh, Assemble Award to? You, you guys actually mentioned it. The last award. It's the opening scene for oh, everything dude. that made it unique and weird. But at the same time, it was like it was creepy. But then it was so powerful the way that Vito was just sitting there, like he said, petting a cat. And now I know where the reference comes from, and you know all the the references that it happens in pop culture and all that stuff. But the fact that it, you get to see Caesar, like you said, it's just in his home. Like you said, it's not in some executive penthouse or in top floor of the corporation or whatever. It's literally at his home, at his daughter's wedding, and people are coming in and out of his office. And in a way, that brings so much more character to Vito, but at the same time, it shows that he has so much power that he can let all these people into his home and not be afraid to like, be attacked. And I think that's something scary where it's he's he's not hiding you know what i mean and he's literally putting himself out there because he just by his presence it demands respect i think i was so afraid from him just from the opening scene right away but it was something he had values at the same time where like you said sunny and michael have varying degrees of of veto pretty much yeah oh man yeah, no, that first scene, I mean, obviously, so many, like, iconic lines, even just, like, oh. the v- opening line, the monologue from Bonacera. I mean, we, we see him a little bit, basically a little bit later on when he's, like, trying to, um, I guess, make Sonny's body a little bit more presentable for his, for his mom, ma- mainly. But, man, he delivered that really creepily. I mean, he is an undertaker, but it's, like, so iconic, and it's, like, basically, like, like iconic dialogue, iconic monologue from a basically a role guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just a random guy. That monologue was so good. Yeah. And it doesn't show the Godfather right away. So uh-huh. it's just you just see like his shoulder and you could feel it's like Darth Vader, you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. In that way, it's like, oh here here he comes. Mm-hmm. That's such a good scene. And that's where that's where it hooked me initially when I finally saw it. Uh, I was a little bit late to the... Not as late as Jeremy, obviously. But I actually only started watching that movie because of Netflix with the whole rent-a-DVD thing. I wanted to watch some of the more iconic movies. And so I probably watched it in the mid-2000s. So, mm. um, yeah, a little late. Uh, for me, I got to give a little bit of love to this scene. It's a, it's a brutal scene. It's when Michael shoots Salozzo and McCluskey um, mm. at the restaurant. I had a hard time between 
picking this and that baptism montage because you know Jeremy you know and I yeah, we love montage. montages and this one I that think is up there for best montage of all time because we're at basically a baptism and then you know like all the stuff is happening behind the scenes and they set up like literally the execution of all the heads of the five families Mo Green uh, who else died uh, they ended up obviously setting up uh, Tessio and then obviously they killed Carlo at the very end too. But man, like everything was just nuts. But my favorite though is still when Michael shoots Salozzo and McCluskey because, you know, it's again, his plan coming into fruition. But again, he's still kind of learning, you know, like the, the scenes before it, he's trying to get some tips from Clemenza of what to do. And he's like, oh, supposed to shoot them both in, in like two shots each and then drop the gun and don't look, make eye contact. But he kind of screwed it up a little bit. He like kind of held on to the gun for a little bit. And then I don't know, but you could tell he, he was, you know, he it was like a growing up moment for him. And you saw the nervousness of when he was trying to retrieve the gun from the uh, that uh, toilet thing. I forget what they called it. But then when he got out there and, and you knew the sense of dread, it's like, oh, is it going to really happen? It's going to really happen. And it actually happens in a very brutal way. Mm. I was like, wow, this is, oh, this is, I think, where The Godfather just goes up like another couple of notches for me. I liked it because it was very realistic. It, it wasn't, you know... Um a, a Jack Reacher, John Wick kind of assassination. It was very much like what you would expect for someone who knew how to use a firearm because he had military experience, but was not was not an assassin. Mm-hmm. And uh, so his expression, I mean, the way uh, Pacino played it with the expressions on his face and the uncertainty that you could see in his eyes, I thought was just, it was very remarkable. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing just because it was played so realistically like no one's gonna just like even though you're holding that gun in your back pocket you're not gonna pull it right away there's that that moment of am i gonna cross this line you know coming basically killing these cops as a civilian and like and i'm knowing that you have to go into hiding for more than a year and it's like i'm putting this all out on the line for revenge right now is this worth it so much on his face uh, in that scene and I think so different from what we'd see today like I think today we we'd see it as a love story and Michael says no I can't assassinate them because then I'll have to leave Kay and Kay I'm going to be with you and we're going to we can live together all we need is love you know <laughs> and um, but Michael I mean because clearly Michael was already in love with Kay he was. at that point and to know that he's going to have to do this and and I mean Anybody could have hit those two. They could have done it. It, would, it might have been more costly, and 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 it, it would have been uh, it would have been all out war even faster, I think. But um, to have Michael do it and for him to make that sacrifice was was significant. Agreed, agreed. So, guys, I mean, we've uh, talked about the movie. Now it's time to see if we can add a little bit of competitiveness to this podcast and guessed it right. We're guessing the Rotten Tomatoes score. And so right now, the current score, I'm actually ahead trying to defend the title 
uh, my season three title and trying to be like Jeremy, be a two season champion. Uh, right now, I'm currently up um, uh, at 15 points. Jeremy is mm. at 12 currently. Andrea, by the way, shout out to Andrea, who runs our social media. Just wanted to uh, never forget her. She's actually uh, currently at eight. And so um, our current rating system, you know, like with Caesar, you know, we're, we're letting you guess the Rotten Tomatoes score. It's going to be mainly for to see if you're going to carry on the tradition of the guests, like basically just kicking butt <laughs> on this podcast. Yeah, um, gee, so thanks. We'll I that. feel no pressure at all for that. Yeah, there's no, no pressure none, at all. No, pressure. No, no anxiousness at all for having to hold up the weight of all of the guests that have come before me. Yeah, you know what? Your son has beat us in the past as well. So Okay, yeah, it. that's... Yeah, no pressure. Sure. No pressure. Got it. So, um, again, just to remind everyone of our new ratings... Uh, I'm sorry, scoring system. First place gets three points. Second place gets only one point, and whoever gets third out of me, Jeremy, and Andrea gets a, a goose egg. So, Caesar, since you are a guest, what would you guess as the Rotten Tomato score for The Godfather? Well, let me preface it by saying that um, I looked up Rotten Tomatoes, but not the score. <gasps> I looked up to see what year Rotten Tomatoes started. Oh. <laughs> and the reason I that see, I did yeah. that is that this is a 50-year-old movie. Correct. Rotten Tomatoes started in 1998, which means most of the people who are going to be reviewing this movie are um, are seeing it you know, on DVD or they're seeing it on a Sunday afternoon, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, they they probably the, and guessing that at the Rotten Tomatoes they skew to a younger audience. Uh, I'm guessing that if someone today were to look at it and not from like the perspective that you find gentlemen look at it from from really wanting to dissect it as a as as art, but just on how they like the movie, I think the racial slurs, the sexism, all of the things that we talked about not aging well will influence the score. Yeah, I think so. And so mm. I think if 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 this was being rated when it came out in 72, where it was just a box office sensation, I think it would have been up in the 90s. Um, I think that it's still a great movie, and so my guess is uh, that it was an 86. Ooh, wow. Oh my goodness. My mind's blown right now. Why? Tell me. Did did you think that would be... That's too high, or... No, I thought you would guess a, a higher score. I, oh, that's okay. uh, way lower than I thought it would uh, that you would guess it anyway. Uh, well, that's why that's why I, I prefaced it by mm. saying that because that's why I cut it down. I think mm. that that if it was reviewed then, it would be much higher. Interesting. That's a, interesting. I never knew that about Rotten Tomatoes. Did you, yeah. Jeremy? <laughs> no, I mean I have a little bit of a. I went through that same thought process, but. I'll explain mine just a little bit after we share Andrea's. Yeah, do you do you have Andrea's score or guess? Andrea sc- scored it pretty close to you, Caesar, eighty nine percent. Oh, she took oh. the above on the. For me, though, considering that Rotten Tomatoes is newer, I was thinking that there was this prestige about the godfather so i felt like the, there's this weight that it's like oh shoot as a reviewer i gotta give it a good score or else you know like this is a 
cinematic masterpiece. It's just I felt like they would sc- score it very high. Mm. So uh, I went with 97%. Oh, wow. Oh, man, I think I, man, I think I overshot it. Um, I'm going with 99%. Whoa, wow. I figured this was going to be as close to a perfect score as it could. And there's going to be always that one reviewer that always likes to just because I was thinking along the same lines as Jeremy. And so I figured there was that one reviewer that always wanted to just give a hot take. So I'm guessing 99. So let me go check uh, Rotten Tomatoes right now. Uh, let's mm. see. Come on, 86. Uh, Leave me that 86. Let's and go, baby. And with a Rotten Tomato meter no. of 97%, wow. Jeremy oh, guessed it wow. exactly correct. Wow, wow, oh, wow. my goodness. <laughs> I am shocked and chagrined. Shocked and chagrined, I tell hey, you. That's, How many that's reviews props. are there? Um, Let me go check. Four. All Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the one who reviewed them. Uh, hold on. Let me click on the link. Oh, you'd be surprised. That was a good amount. 148 reviews. Okay. See, that's a this. decent amount, but not like the most I've seen. Right. Right. Especially for an older movie. Uh, yeah. Actually, uh, do you guys want to guess what the audience thought it was? 87. Caesar? 94. Ah, Caesar got closer. It's actually at ninety eight percent. We would have tied on that. Um, oh. <laughs> so right in the in the middle of uh, Jeremy and I. So to update the new score, Jeremy has closed the gap. Jeremy now is Ooh. at fifteen. I get the extra point, so that moves me up to sixteen. Whoa, Andrea. Oh man, we gotta we gotta work on uh, the scores and everything. Andrea at eight. Caesar. Disappointing. You didn't beat Jeremy. <laughs> I'm very, very sad about that whole ordeal. And I now I, the, the, the shame that I have to endure now is just unbearable. I know. It's okay. You did your research, though. A lot of guests, I feel like they just throw out a number. But you had some rationale behind it. So I like It was though. wrong. <laughs> but it was rational. I mean, yeah. you would have been like in fourth place, but yeah. uh, it was rational. <laughs> I always have a reason for coming in last, so. Oh, shoot. But we we love it. But not as much as we love 3000, uh, because our n- last award of the, the podcast episode is the I Love You 3000 Award, where we rate in this episode, The Godfather a rating between one and three thousand. So this is your own personal rating, Caesar. How would you rate The Godfather? Well, let me just say that your rating system is very confusing. It is because three thousand is like, uh, what do I do? So what I did was, I I created six separate categories and rated each of those one to five hundred. Wow! And then added them I love up together. It. Wow! To, you uh, dissected this. <laughs> you really put some thought into this. I love it. So at three o'clock in the morning, I tried to figure out what am I going to do with this three thousand award. So my categories were casting, sound and music, performance, story, rewatchability, and then an overall score. And uh, so I got uh, my score. My rating for the I Love You Three Thousand award is twenty eight fifty, which is an exact ninety five percent. Wow. See, that's that's good. <laughs> 
I, I, I'm, cu- I'm curious to see how each category was broken down to uh, do you want to hear them? that to us offline <laughs> unless you have that in front of you i do i have it right here oh go for it so, so casting i gave it a 450 and oh, yeah. oh, sound and music was 450 uh i gave the performance a 480 mm. the story a 490 Yes. Rewatchability a 500. Oh yeah, mm, wow. and then overall a 480, which gave it a total of 2850. Oh, I love it, man. We need to break down movies like that with our See, rating. Yeah, <laughs> it's the only yeah. way I could make sense of it. <laughs> yeah, tr- I mean that that ma- that that makes sense though because I feel like I rate it at anything right now. My <laughs> my scoring system is is very flawed, right, Ken? <laughs> He goes by uh, by feeling, really. Yeah, it's week to week. Yeah. And per season. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> exactly. how, it, it, how you feel about where the nine should go, is ever, is it like 3109, 3190, 3901? It's, yeah. That's a good it's question. It's pretty random. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like there's so many five-star ratings. Yeah. A 10 out of 10. Out of hundred, obviously, mm. all right, like Rotten Tomatoes, we we just or or a letter grade, yeah, no, three thousand. <laughs> I like it. I just was worried that you guys have this, you know, twelve point rating system, and so the only way to scale it was to do three thousand points. And I thought, now nah, I'm just gonna and I'm just gonna start listing random like the last four digits of my phone number when I was growing up, and that's the score. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like um, it's fake though because it's like no one can really critique your score because it's not real for for real. Like my score though, you Caesar, you guessed my score actually. I got twenty five eighty out of three thousand, eighty six percent. So wow. if I was the Mister Rotten Tomatoes, you would have gotten right. See, you should have gone there and done a bunch more reviews. <laughs> it would it would have brought down the curve so that C- yeah. Caesar would have or uh, no, I guess beat brought us. the average down. <laughs> yeah. Shoot. Oh man. Well, for me, um, and this is actually on my revised scale where I, I've been more of a tempered with my with my scale, but like we've been talking about with the unbearable weight of massive talent, um, this is definitely up there in terms of my top three movies of all time, depending on. What, what what do they say? It's like how you feel. Depending on how you feel. I forgot what Nicolas Cage says. Yeah. Well, sometimes it, it, it does change, but this movie really doesn't, which is pretty crazy because I, I think I'm maybe in agreement with uh, Caesar where I think I might like the second one better, but I guess that differs on a day-to-day basis. But out of 3,000, I'm giving it as close to a perfect score as I could. It's not quite there. But twenty nine fifty five at ninety eight and a half percent. Wow! I love this movie so much. I could literally, if it's on TV and I happen to catch it, I'll end up watching it um, just kind of randomly. You know what I mean? I'll just finish it if I can. I do the right. same thing. If I happen to be flipping channel, well, in the days when flipping channels was a thing, if I happen to be flipping channels and I it it was there, I just stop and watch it. All right, Jeremy. I mean, we went from a movie that's like 50 years old to one perhaps next week that hasn't come out yet. So, Jeremy, do you want to preview what we have for next week? Yeah, next week we're going to be flying into the danger zone. After 30 years, Pete Mitchell is being given orders to where it all began. 
Top Gun. Oh, in yeah. Top Gun Maverick. Maverick's coming back to Top Gun, guys. Tom Cruise is back. And I, I saw an early screening of it. I'm excited to talk about it. Now, that's so all lucky. I'll say for now. Because so I know lucky. you two haven't seen it yet. <laughs> I'm excited to watch it. Yes. Same. Same. I've been, I've been looking forward to it a while. I Actually, I haven't seen the original one in quite some time so i do want to watch it on I, I believe it's on netflix still correct me if it I'm is wrong. it is so um, i would recommend watching that first one before the next one just because the first one still is really good <laughs> yes it is i think so it's one of my favorites um i feel like it's more of a I feel like sometimes it's a guilty pleasure movie because of how like really eighties <laughs> cheesy it is. I'm talking about that beach uh, volleyball scene. Man, we need to do a podcast episode on the original Top Gun. Anyway, you, you should make a TikTok and reenact that scene. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I was kind of visualizing it just now. It's like no. It's like the awkward pause. Hmm. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing about it next at the next episode because I want to know. I want to. I'd like to to know how how you think uh, the Top Gun Maverick will age. Because for me, one of the best things and and just the most amazing things about how they cut Top Gun was that you could put that in the theaters today and it it could be present day, um, especially since they're still flying the F-14. You know, um, that crazy. could be present day. <laughs> So um, I think how, how they were able to write it and how they, they cast it and everything was just so good. And, and uh, I hope they did the same thing with, uh, with Maverick. But don't tell me. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll wait to hear what you guys have to say about it. For sure. Yeah. Just, yeah, just as a reminder, I mean, Jeremy alluded to, uh, alluded to it already. Top Gun Maverick's only out in theaters. Tom Cruise made sure of that. <laughs> he waited. Oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, he did. Well, anyway, uh, before we close out the episode, Caesar, this is the, I guess, the part of the episode where you get to plug whatever it is you want, social medias, projects, whatever you want. So what do you want to plug um, on this podcast? Well, I don't know um, what I would plug. I am on Facebook. You can find me there. I am on uh, Instagram, and you can find me there. Uh, I am working with a very experienced podcast creator um, to uh, try to get a podcast up, uh, hopefully sometime uh, over the summer, and get it started. And uh, it's going to be, um, not exactly sure how it's going to, 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 uh, to, um, to end up, but basically I um, have or either know people who have made just about every possible mistake in the world that you could ever make. And so we're going to just talk about that and uh, maybe save some people from having to, to go through and do the same things. And, uh, you know, that's the essence of wisdom is uh, finding other people's mistakes and learning from them. So um, I'm excited for that project that's coming up. I'm excited too. <laughs> and I and, and I don't mean that in a very sarcastic way. Means because he was basically talking about me. I, I it's something that I approached him, and I because I you know just hearing 
how this episode has gone and just being friends with Caesar for a very long time. He's, uh, he's, he's a natural for this sort of thing, this uh, medium. And I approached Caesar about starting a podcast, not one that I'm actually hosting, but just wanting to produce it because I know that whatever he decides on doing it, and obviously he's still trying to do the, all the planning and everything. I know he's going to do a really good job with it because he does a good job with it, with everything that he does. Well, that's very high praise from you. And I, I'm grateful for that. Really. The struggle is going to be to make sure to limit the amount of inappropriate things that makes it on air. So um, <laughs> I have a tendency to do that sometimes. Hey, but uh, who am I to judge? Um, we might just have to, I don't know, showcase that. No, I'm just kidding. I, I wouldn't do that to you. <laughs> We'd have to have a beep button. Oh, I, I already have it ready to go. Um, oh, it's see, loaded already. There you go. We'll be Jeremy, do you go. have anything to plug uh, for the upcoming week? Uh, the usual, JP underscore flicks. Uh, maybe I should post something on there once in a while. <laughs> but yeah, I'll, uh, I'm there a little bit more often than, than not now. So He does. Folks, I think he mentioned it last week. I think it was last week. He updated his profile photo. That's when wow. you know he's all in on social media. Not really all in, but yeah. all in for him. <laughs> yeah. Well, for me, uh, you guys can follow me on uh, Instagram and Twitter at Freakin' A. And then uh, for all of, uh, I guess, what we're, what we're plugging, I'll put all that uh, inf- information on the episode notes. And so uh, to close out, Today's episode, you know, ordinarily we have this segment where Jeremy and I kind of talk about final thoughts on the movie. But, you know, instead of doing that, we saved, I think, the best for last. We, you know, like with this with with an iconic movie like The Godfather, I thought it was appropriate to go end this episode with some of the our favorite iconic quotes from the Godfather. And again, Caesar, since you're our guest, we'll give you first dibs. So what is your favorite, uh, favorite quote from the Godfather? Well, I have to tell you that I, there are a lot of fun quotes in the Godfather. Oh yeah. Um, and, uh, and I'm not going to say them all because, uh, they might be one of your favorite quotes and I don't want to steal that. There's enough guns and cannolis to go around for everybody. Uh, But I will tell you that for me, my favorite quote, um, and then just going along with the podcast that uh, we're looking at trying to put up um, and and talking about wisdom, um, when uh, when, uh, the Don is talking to Vic Fontaine, who could or could not be Frank Sinatra in real life. Johnny Fontaine. Johnny Fontaine. Vic, okay, yeah, that's his real name. Johnny Fontaine. So when he's talking to him, because he's not getting into that movie, he, sa- he asks him if he's spending time with his family. And then he said, because a man who doesn't spend time with his family can never be a real man. Oh, so good. And that, that's, uh, that is truth in the movie, and that is truth in life. That's such a good quote, and it's underrated too because it doesn't. That is a good quote. Get recognized, uh, Jeremy. How would you like to close this episode? Which quote would you like to choose? For me, I chose a quote that almost I felt like when I heard it, it was like the final 
nail in the coffin of Michael becoming Don. And he, he was speaking to Carla saying, only don't tell me you're innocent because it insults my intelligence. Oof. It makes me very angry. And the way he delivered that line, it's just that it was like the final transformation. And you know that he's going to be a different type of Don than, than Vito. Oh, man. Nice. That whole scene was so good. It was yeah. chilling, just like you said. Um, I'm going to go curveball again here. For me, my favorite one <laughs> is, and I got to give, I got to give love to like the, uh, the, the scenes in Sicily. It's when Michael is teaching Apollonia to drive and he's obviously just traumatized from having to ride in the, in the passenger seat and Michael in Italian goes, it's safer to teach you English. And Apollonia in Italian goes, I know English, and then proceeds to say in English, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, Saturday. And I was like, oh, this is so good. I was dying when this scene happens. Uh, it, it gets me every time. That was so good. Yeah, that car was pretty explosive. Oh, yeah. oh <laughs> That was a brutal death. I feel like that was the most brutal death because she, she obviously did deserve that. My yeah. goodness. Oh, my goodness. But, uh, guys, um, it's been a hell of a podcast. Caesar, thank you so much for joining the podcast. We actually mm-hmm. wanted you w- way back in season two, but um, schedules. Uh, yeah, you know, you, Jeremy and I have been really busy, and, and but we somehow f- managed to make it work uh, for season four. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thank you for uh, letting me hang out with you. Really, I I can't even tell you when I've had as much fun as I've had just just uh, talking to you guys. And really, the only thing that's missing is food and and uh, be like old times again. So uh, look forward to any opportunity I get to uh, to come back. And um, and again, just just thank you. It, it's been it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for coming on the show. We'll definitely bring food next time. We'll definitely see each other soon. And uh, who knows? Maybe we'll get Toto's or something. Mm. (laughs) That sounds good, right? I'm actually getting kind of hungry now that you're mentioning food. I'm starving. Uh, Yeah. uh, Now that you guys mentioned, I forgot. I haven't eaten dinner yet either. Uh, (laughs) It's so crazy to me. But again, Caesar, thank you again uh, for joining the podcast. Like, uh, Like what we've mentioned to other uh, guests that have come on the podcast, the invitation is an open door. And so when we decide, uh, I guess, our season five schedule and beyond, we're definitely going to reach out and see if there's another episode that you'd like to join in on. Because, I don't know, maybe Dirty Dancing? Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Dirty Dancing. <laughs> it's a classic, my friend. It is a classic. It's hey, a tearjerker. We, we might have... The time of our lives. <laughs> hey, I, I wouldn't doubt it. <laughs> it's the sways. Oh, man, I had to. Well, again, uh, on behalf of Andre, who runs our social medias, uh, on behalf of Caesar, who has joined, graced us with his presence for this podcast episode, for my tag team partner, Jeremy, my name is Ken. Thank you all for listening to the Weekly Real Podcast, and we'll see you next week. The real.